You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Deadline Hollywood columnist for LA Weekly, Nikki Fink, goes on the record online. I am one of those people who believes that you have to get inside the head of the Oscar voters. Too many people make the error of looking at the Oscars as if this really is a contest for best picture and the best talent and the best everything. It has nothing to do with that. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. This is uh, another in a series of podcasts on the road to the Oscars. Um, If this is your first time listening, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media. And today we have uh, Nikki Fink. She is the unabashed, in-your-face uh, Deadline Hollywood co- Deadline Hollywood columnist for LA Weekly, uh, where she's been since June 2002, writing about the business, politics, and culture of the infotainment industry. She recently won first place in the Association of Alternative News, Le- News Weekly's um, as she, Los Angeles Magazine has praised her LA Weekly column as essential reading for those who follow the industry. Uh, week in and week out, she's been writing a great Hollywood column. Uh, by going her own way. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, thank you for downloading the podcast. If you would like to subscribe, you can get it at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. If you have uh, feedback, please send it to me at eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. I am your host, Eric Schwartzman, founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We have a a toolkit for online uh, marketing and communications, um, all forms of new media with an online dashboard. And you can get more information on that at www.ipressroom.com forward slash visible. And now we are going to play for you the interview with Nikki Fink uh, as we count down to the Oscars. It lasts around 20 minutes and it comes to you unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Nikki, thanks so much for doing this. No problem. Now, I was reading on, um, on your blog, uh, you said you were floored that The Departed received fewer, domin- fewer nominations than Pan's Labyrinth, but you chalked it up to Warner Brothers being, quote, lousy at mounting Oscar campaigns. What is an Oscar campaign, and how are they mounted? Well, you have the modern-day Oscar campaign, which was perfected by Harvey Weinstein. Um, Harvey introduced a new way of mounting an Oscar campaign. He would hide the money in the sense that most everybody would earmark a certain limited amount of money, maybe $3 million or so for an Oscar campaign, and that would go into advertising, that would go into wooing the different uh, 
Academy voters, and basically just continually reminding people that their film and the talent associated with it um, deserve their attention. What Harvey Weinstein did was, was something totally different. He would combine the Oscar campaign with a re-release of the movie in the sense that he would platform it around the holidays, around Christmas or New Year's, and then he would re-release the movie wide. Uh, technically, I guess you could say it was a wide release, but it was almost like re-releasing it with a humongous um, advertising and promotional campaign. And sometimes the money associated with this, which he would deny, um, would be somewhere, you know, approaching 15, 20 million dollars for what were basically tiny, tiny movies. And it just changed everything because suddenly people realized that they had to do the same thing. And so the whole money surrounding Oscar campaigns really escalated. I mean, you used to throw, you know, some ads into the trade for your consideration, you know, but now you take out TV spots, you take out radio spots, you do double-page color ads in the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times. I mean, you're just spending money. Now, you also wrote, uh, you know, obviously everyone's talking about why Dreamgirls wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I don't want to ask that question. It's been asked enough. You said you thought it was because Hollywood's jealous of David Geffen. Explain. Well, I am one of those people who believes that you have to get inside the head of the Oscar voters. Too many people make the error of looking at the Oscars as if this really is a contest for Best Picture and the Best Talent and the Best Everything. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, let's be realistic. You've got to sit down, you've got to talk to different Oscar people, you know, different Academy voters. I, I sort of treat this like a science. You have, I have certain friends who are long-time Academy members who are what I call touchstones. They have various parties. They will talk to about 200 people across the spectrum of Oscar voters, and they get a wonderful sense, just in the course of casual conversations, of where everybody's headed at. That is why last year I was the only journalist who said, you know what? No one is screening Brokeback Mountain in the Academy. I mean, many of the heterosexual men don't want to screen it. Um, some of the uh, people who worked on voters, who worked on the cowboy movies, didn't want to screen it. Um, it was not getting seen. And therefore, even though it was a critic starling, it didn't matter. The Academy voters were not going to see it, and they were not going to vote for it. Um, I accused them of, of really being um, homophobic. I mean, no different than Pat Robertson. It was, it was shocking. And indeed, Crash won. And, and Roger Ebert on, on uh, Oscar night said, you know, Nikki called it. And I called it just because, again, you have to get inside the head of Oscar voters. And this year, what I was hearing from my touchstones was envy and jealousy. And what it comes down to is that Clint Eastwood has won so many times, and he's brilliant, and he's a genius, and it's incredible that he's still got this thriving career at his age, and it's marvelous, and they can't stand it. I mean, they don't want to give it to him again. And you have um, 
Geffen can, you know, can be your best friend and your worst enemy, and he wields enormous influence in Hollywood, and they are jealous of that. And there are agendas upon agendas upon agendas in Academy voting, just as there is in everything to do with Hollywood. Now, regarding Ryan Goosling's wild card nomination for Best Actor for Half Nelson, you wrote, quote, Goosling is a pretty boy type, but one who's got the reputation more for his acting chops than for his giddy features in Us Magazine or on Entertainment Tonight, which have killed the careers of too many of his better-known generation of thesps. Unquote. Explain to us exactly how these types of outlets, like Us Magazine and Entertainment Tonight, can have such a devastating effect on a rising star's longevity. Well, first, I, I really should say that when I first heard that, that Ryan had gotten the, uh, the nomination, my first impulse was to say, oh, well, obviously he has a relative who works at the accountant firm that's counting the balance. Because it was like, what? I mean, there's always a, what? You know, they, they said, what name? You know, category, and this was it. Because this was a tiny movie that made $2 million. I mean, that's about what the hair product is, you know, for Will Smith and Leo DiCaprio. I mean, come on. It was seen in like 200 theaters. I mean, there are more nail salons within a, within a one-mile radius of my house than that. It was insane. I mean, how did Academy voters see this movie? And I was really curious about that. So I started doing some research, and people said, well, it got, you know, they, the Think Film sent out the screener really early. So, you know, everybody's looking forward to watching all the movies, and you wait and you wait for these things to come, and the early ones get seen. Um, because it's, it's before the delayed deluge of, of all these, you know, DVDs. So that surprised me. So I can't say I had any special knowledge at first, but once I did my research, I discovered that there was indeed a reason he was nominated. And what it became very painfully obvious is, I mean, look at Ben Affleck, perfect example. You know, Ben Affleck probably deserves a supporting actor nomination for Hollywood. I mean, that's always a very difficult category because you, you have just so many different disparate performances and, and there's so many deserving people. But the problem is that, you know, Ben Affleck will be punished for several years to come because he bought into the whole celebrity business. And that meant Us Magazine, that meant People Magazine, that meant, you know, very public romances. Everything that overshadowed his own acting. I mean, why do you think it is that Brad Pitt's Babel is nominated and not Brad Pitt? I mean, again, you know, all of that. The Academy demands a certain way of, be of behaving for its Oscar nominees. And, and I know this sounds ludicrous, but they do. I mean, just as it's you know, not everybody gets accepted into the Academy. Not everybody gets an award. And it's not good enough to just sort of saunter in, do a one-off performance, you know, and, okay, I deserve an Academy Award. No, they look at a lot of what you've been doing. I mean, every now and then it happens. Marissa Tomei, perfect example for my cousin Vinny. I mean, there are people to this day who felt that, you know, the name on the card, that the, 
Now, you also said you thought that they, referring to um, a Half Nelson, that they ran a, a, a smart word-of-mouth campaign. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit about uh, how they spend so heavily on the advertising uh, to, to get people to, to vote for the films. But what about the word-of-mouth component? How do, they, how do they drive word of mouth? Word of mouth is, is very important. And first of all, what you need is to be championed by some really respected people. Now, I heard that Clint Eastwood was telling people that he was very impressed with Ryan's performance in Half Nelson. There you go. That gets around. There is a whole coterie of what I call geriatric publicists who know the other geriatric members of the Academy. And make no mistake about it, the vast majority of Academy membership are people who are, you know, really past their prime, who haven't worked in a while. Some of them are in nursing homes. I mean, it's not filled with the kind of young, vibrant Hollywood types that you think. It, it's mostly people whose careers are behind them. And these publicists know how to get them to go to parties, how to talk to them, how to everything, and basically help get the word out. I mean, there's a real science to an Oscar campaign that, you know, it makes no sense Now, you also wrote uh, about the Oscar tally by Hollywood Agency. Uh, that is to say the number of talent agency clients that receive nominations uh, by agency. And it appears as though Ari Emanuel is what, what Mike Ovitz once was, uh, the top agent in Hollywood today. Um, why do you think Endeavors become so successful? Well, you have just said a wrong statement. Ari Emanuel is a partner in Endeavors. In terms of the movie business, the most important partners in that company are Patrick Whitehall and Adam Bennett, not Ari Emanuel. Ari Emanuel mostly does television. Yeah, he's got Sasha Baron Cohen and he's got some other people. But, you know, you know, this is not really Ari from Endeavor. Okay, let's make that plain. I mean, Endeavor's made up of a lot of agents um, and, you know, has a very active movie side. The reason why, you know, this agency count is interesting is because uh, right after the nominations are awarded, each agency takes out a big two-page ad in the trade, and they sort of congratulate their nominees, and it's kind of a point of pride. I mean, Endeavor has been extraordinary. Um, they've been going after young talent, um, young directors, young actors. Um, they've been managing to woo people from CAA by basically saying, hey, are you working? Are you working in the things you want to be? And many of them are saying, no, I, I'm not happy with my career. I mean, at CAA, they field offers. I mean, Endeavor, they're going out and actively, you know, finding projects and jobs for clients, and they are very busy right now in, in setting up financing. I mean, ICM and UTA and William Morris still have very thriving movie divisions, I mean, don't get me wrong, but Endeavor, which is a third of the size of CAA, has been very active, especially in hiring um, uh, motion picture literary talent, you know, literary screenwriters, those things. 
and directors, and they've done a wonderful job assembling a very hot group of people. There's been some discussion about Comedy Central looking on YouTube for tomorrow's comedic talent, and uh, we see some of these video podcasts like Ask a Ninja getting featured in the uh, 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 magazine of the New York, Sunday New York Times. Um, do you think there's uh, any sort of shift in the power base uh, from, from the center to the periphery as a result of the internet and new media? Well, the answer to that is very simple. No. I mean, the, I have been hearing about looking for talent on the internet now since 1995. So we, it's been 11 years. Uh, it's beginning to happen, but it's still a minuscule amount. I mean, it's, a, it's far, far less than, let's say, you know, people who do music videos, people who do, do films, people who you know, graduate from USC or UCLA film school. I mean, you can go on and on about where people get discovered. People who come up through the system. Um, it's, it's just so minuscule. But, you know, at least you have a hope of maybe your thing getting seen. But remember, there are just so many videos out there. And so much. I mean, I am constantly email these things. And I have to say, out of the hundred or so I view, you know, maybe every week, you know, that I choose to view, maybe one gets a laugh out of me. The rest of them are so lame as to defy belief. Final question, Nikki. How does your honest style of reporting affect your ability to get access to the people you want to interview most? more access. Everybody thinks that you're going to get frozen out if you're honest and you tell the truth. I have found just the opposite. I have found that if you are honest and tell the truth and you're unafraid and you have a form that people want to go to, DeadlineHollywoodDaily.com or my columns for LA Weekly that get circulated around, um, I, I'm constantly amazed that that it opens more doors, not less. I think people in this town really respect somebody who is not willing to kowtow and is basically a equal opportunity um, truth teller. I don't favor anybody. I mean, you know, if you don't do the crime if you can't do the time, you know. Don't act like a jerk. Don't order people around. Don't make bad movies. Don't lose money for your company. Don't cause your stock price to go down and hurt shareholders who are saving for their grandkids' college. I mean, don't do any of that if you don't expect people to write about it. And I write about it. Um, I'm really not that interested in what's going right in Hollywood because so much is going wrong and nobody cares. Uh, and. Nobody cares to write about it. I mean, people care. You never can forget that this town is comprised of studios and networks that are part of public corporations. And when you are a public corporation, you are answerable to your shareholders. But the problem is, most of the time, nobody knows what the heck is going on. I see myself as the friend of the shareholder. I want to be there whispering into their ears about what is really going on. I mean, I did some of the really um, uh, truthful reporting about Disney, and 
with journalists who, who really tried to say, you know, there are problems here and things are not right and your shareholders should take action. And that's what the shareholders did. And they threw out Michael Eisner. So my feeling is um, that's my role. I mean, I don't believe in being a booster. Hollywood has plenty of that. There's lots of gloss in Hollywood, but the whole point is to get underneath that and find out what's really going on. Um, that's my yet. Nikki Fink, Deadline Hollywood columnist for LA Weekly, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.